I don't read the news at all. I don't know what's going on because you know what I do? I chat with people like you <laughs> who consume all that shit and you feed it to me and it gives us something to talk about. So wait, I'm, I got to carry your fucking stress? What the Exactly. Fuck? I'm, I'm on cloud nine. Okay, so okay. let's so, yeah. record the intro now. Just so what is Milkless? Because I think we start with the name. Two dads. We love our kids. But then we also need them to know that we're like pretty cool and it's not like a wimpy podcast. So, hey. <laughs> Hey. Hey. Milkless. Hey, welcome. Hey. Hey, hey, Milkless. Call the audience, Milkless. What's up, Milkless? <laughs> Matt and Max coming at you. What if that's it? <laughs> How's our first take? On this episode of the podcast, we are going to talk about the worry and stress that inevitably comes with being a parent. You love something that much, you worry about it. So how do you keep that worry from slipping into anxiety that really gets in the way of your life? How do you take care of yourself in ways that mean you don't live in the worst case too often? Max is better at this than I am. We're both trying. Here we go. All right, Matt, today we're talking about worrying when you worry as a parent. And sometimes it's good, keeps your kids safe. Sometimes it's bad. It uh, gives you anxiety. This one's near and dear for me. I um, It's the flip side of like, I'm very excited. I'm very passionate, but uh, I've got some anxiety. And I can already tell that I've given a little bit of it to my eldest daughter. So this, I'm glad we're talking about this. Okay. So if we're going to talk about whether we talk about safety or milestone and development, or let's say financial or something like that, which one do you want to dive into first here? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, let's do safety because that's kind of the obvious one. I mean, you worry about something happening to your kids. You just do. Uh, this is, you know, there's all those things that it's like, I wish somebody told me. Yeah. This was one that I felt like really caught me off guard. It's like, nobody told me that I'm going to spend the rest of my life a little worried. Almost inevitably, because there's this thing that is outside of me that is vulnerable to the world. And if anything were to happen to either of them, I would never really be okay again. Yeah. I wish somebody told me that when they're babies, they suck at breathing. And sometimes they just stop for like a second and a half. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're literally like uh, like a guy with sleep apnea. Like, Totally. Uh, totally. It's like, whoa, 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 come on. Totally. That's like the first thing I tell to anybody that has a baby. It's like, every once in a while, they'll stop breathing for like two seconds. Your life's not over. It's just they, they've only been doing it for a month. Well, I think that what catches us off guard is that like, you know, you're all excited about being a dad or a parent. Oh, you have this baby. And then I feel like you don't really think about it. And then it's like, wait a minute. I am responsible for this child yeah. forever. Yeah. Like I must protect this child. So that's where it can easily turn into like ongoing worry about their safety. Yeah. Do you ever like let yourself kind of imagine what the worst case scenario might be like? And then it's just like, holy fuck. (sighs) Yeah. And then if you're not in a good space mentally, whether you're stressed out with work, you're tired, hungover, whatever, those thoughts can, you know, make you really stressed out in in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah, they can. I don't know any way to totally dodge it. Yeah. I think there's ways to mitigate it. But when you care about something that much, you worry about it. Yeah. I guess the thing with worry is it's it's, it's a strange word because it can mean like that, like in the moment worry. Yeah. Like I'm worried because we have a swimming pool and I'm worried to make sure that the gate is closed and that the pool cover is on and I worry about that. And that's, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, just to quickly bring some data, uh, like for example, drowning risk is literally one out of a hundred thousand. So it's super, super slim. Yeah. But that 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 fear is is there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 
it's it's rarer than getting struck by lightning. Um, lightning is six times out of a hundred thousand. Are you able to when you have that data? Are you able to have that impact your emotional experience? Like, are you able to be rational enough to be like, okay, settle down? Because I do feel like as a human, you're often having this internal argument between your rational self and your your feelings. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I guess the thing is, like, it's it's it, do you have pervasive, ongoing worry, or is it a good rational worry? Like, I'm worried about this pool. Yeah, I'm worried about that plastic bag with a toddler walking around. You know, just being worried about things that could happen is is good as opposed to laying in bed and being all stressed out about something like, oh, they're going to the water park tomorrow with their summer camp. Oh, I'm so worried about that. Yeah. You know, those are the types of things where, look, you got the kids with sunscreen. If they can't swim, they're wearing a swim vest. I mean, you got to like not worry about that. Let that go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So there's some, there's some functional worry and then there's a point at which it kind of like exits anything that's actually like helpful in your life. Maybe maybe it's like if there's a safety thing that you're thinking about a lot in your house and you're worrying about that a lot, just fix it. Baby proof your house. If your kid is like running around at nine months old and is bonking his head on things, you basically need to put him in like a a soft room. (laughs) You put up some gates so they can't go up and down the stairs. Yeah. You you baby proof the corners and then you just kind of forget about it. And then it's like the thing we said about what like some of our European friends say is like, look, no spinals, no eye injuries. Yeah. If they're yeah. going to bonk their head on a padded floor, let them bonk their head. That happens. That's how they learn. We've been a lot better about that with our second because our 11-month-old is now walking. And frequently, I'll just walk into a room and she's just the only one in there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we never did that with our first. But she's fine. I think it's a soft room. Like you don't have trachea-sized marbles on the ground. Yeah, right. That shit we're vigilant about. Yeah. You don't have plastic bags floating around for them to play with. Yeah. Do you remember that old Dan Aykroyd Saturday Night Live skit where he's making toys? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bag of glass. It's a bag of it's glass. Bag of glass. You know. Hey, Johnny Switchblades. You know, you fucking play with it. It's a bag. They put it over the head. They're an astronaut. It's fucking great. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you kind of try to forget about it. The worry that I feel like I struggle with more frequently, one is kind of like the like providing thing, just as an entrepreneur about like, what if the phone never rings again and we have to sell our house? And just what if I can't support my family? But I think it relates to, a lot of times I think about like what fatherhood means to me, mm-hmm. like how I you know define fatherhood and what is distinct about fatherhood versus just parenthood. And the answer that everybody is going to be a little different. I do sometimes think that like my job is to create a buffer between the meaner parts of the outside world and my family. Yeah. There's that great uh, line from True Detective where McConaughey is saying that they're bad men, the two cops. Mm -hmm. And then he just goes, the world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. Mm -hmm. In every male fantasy, we're kind of like, yeah, because we have like violence in us. And there's parts of me that like are aggressive and want to win and, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, the point of those is to protect my family from the meaner parts of the world. But I do then, I worry about the world, mm-hmm. the things that are so far outside of my control. Like bad boyfriends or wives or girlfriends or something like that, or, or being abused in the future or stuff like that. Or, or even just like summers in Texas used to bother me because they were hot. Now they bother me because they remind me that everything is getting hotter. Mm-hmm. Every nature video I watch with my daughter, at the end of it, they're like, and this species is you know, its habitat is being destroyed. Yeah. Things that are so big, like, does our government work anymore? 
not really. Yeah. And so the the big global things of just like what kind of world are we creating for our kids to live in? That stuff, I have trouble shaking. I guess I have like real strong compartmentalization or something because I can entertain that conversation. We can have some beers and chat about that and pontificate about how fucked up the world is and everything and how we do need to make some serious changes. But at the same time, it's like, I also strongly believe that like you focus on what you talk about a lot, like the soft skills, the love and nurture and making them know that they feel that they are worthy of love and stuff like that. It's like, let's say it turns into a post-apocalyptic world and there's no power grid and we're like in a zombie movie, like we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll figure it out. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, we haven't been through a ton of bad shit in our life, but we both have some stuff that's gone through our lives and like. We turn out okay. You hear about people all the time, you know, go through whatever and they, they turn out okay. Yeah. I think that if we give the kids the tools to be super resilient, confident kids. Yeah. Knock yeah. on wood, but like, so something bad happens to them. Like the best thing we can do is just set them up so that they can handle that in the future. Yeah, it's totally true. I do. Those big, big worries. I mean, other than like trying to be more environmentally conscious and, you know, trying to stay informed enough to vote in ways that I believe in and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. there's not that much you can do. So that does kind of fall into the category of low utility worry. Well, I, you know, I don't have the answer, but I know that there is that quote or some proverb where it's like, what are you worrying about? Is it something you can fix? Okay, then fix it. If it's not something you can fix it's not worth worrying about, yeah. you know, and I just, I'm, I'm such a fixer that I love fixing problems. And if it's not, it's just like, okay, we'll just roll. I trust tomorrow, Max. Yeah. I, I trust like us in the future. Yeah. We'll get through it. And then I just don't even think about that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, this, this goes right into a 2015 study out of the UK. Mothers who had been diagnosed with anxiety disorder reported that their parental responsibility beliefs were way more like it was their responsibility for their child's actions, outcomes, and well-being than parents who scored within the normal range for anxiety. So whether that's correlation or causality, I don't think it really matters. Yeah, that's interesting. It goes back into like recognizing what's in your control and what isn't because so much of the how, how life goes for your kids is not in your control. It's just not. Yeah. Well, and what I worry about with my own anxiousness is passing that along to your kids because they like to my kids because they just watch you so closely And I don't want my daughters to grow up thinking that the world is a scary place or that, you know, we're kind of in some kind of decline, which is, I think, you know, a lot of Americans, I think, feel that. Whether or not that's true, I think a lot of people feel that. I think COVID really shook everybody. I mean, I kind of feel like we almost can't talk about this without acknowledging that, like, hey, you remember a few years ago when there was a global pandemic like we have not seen since the 1920s? And it fucked with everybody. Yeah. It just did, I, I think, it, more than we know or care to admit. Fundamental things about your life, just overnight, were like, no, you, you can't go to the store. Yeah. And then there were, you know, there's massive civil unrest in the United States. There was like, our democracy felt a little like, eh. and all that happened in the space of like two or three years. And it was enough to make anybody feel like, oh, this, this stability that I've always just assumed about life is a little bit of an illusion. For sure. I think also, though, because we saw it from a different lens because we were in Amsterdam during the, the pandemic, it was just kind of like not as big a deal. Mm. Like it was a big deal, but it wasn't like it was like, no, no, this is fucking serious. Wear the masks. Here's what we're going to do. But it didn't get so also wrapped up in politics. Yeah. 
which was kind of strange to kind of see what was going on in America. Yeah. And it was like, well, how can a disease be political? So I think it got extra strange in, in the US. But I think that that's a normal feeling. That's a mammalian response of like, you know, we provide shelter for our little little baby animals. Yeah. And we protect them from the big wolf and from the rain and from the dust storm. Yeah. And, you know, from all that shit. So yeah. yeah. It's a normal, normal sort of thing. I guess it's that you set up those guardrails and those protections. And then can you then exist in there mm-hmm. and have fun? There's this great Wendell Berry quote. I'm gonna butcher it a little bit, but It's something like, uh, be joyful because it is humanly possible. Mm -hmm. I am really seeking that these days. I feel like that has been the longest tale of COVID for me. It's just this feeling that like things haven't been going well, like that there's this trend towards like chaos and things kind of falling apart. And I really don't want to feel that way. And in moments I'm able to rationally check myself, I'll be like, well, God, we have a house. We there's food in the pantry. Everyone in my family, like Knockwood is like pretty healthy. Things are good. Like that was a helpful thing when we were in Ireland. We'd visit these like castles and be like, this family built these walls because like periodically the English would just show up out of nowhere and attack them. Yeah. And then some of them would die and then some of them would be homeless. It's like, that's the level of stability that has existed for most of history. And what we have now is this massive aberration, Mm -hmm. but it's lowered our tolerance for chaos. And I think the balm for that, that you articulated very well is like, trust yourself, trust your family. Trust the things that you're equipping your kids with because there are some things that are out of your control. But if you trust yourself to like meet those as they come, then they maybe cause the normal amount of worry as opposed to that perpetual. Yeah. And also, I, I mean, I got this from four hour work week from Tim Ferriss, but like he, he in the book talks about a low information diet. Mm-hmm. I don't listen. I don't read the news at all. I don't know what's going on. Cause you know what I do? I chat with people like you <laughs> who consume all that shit. And you feed it to me, and it gives us something to talk about. So wait, I'm I gotta carry your fucking stress. What exactly? Fuck? I'm I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> like it's it's a low information diet, and then I can focus on you know the things that matter around here. Because I don't know, especially with you know the news, the twenty four hour news cycle. I mean, they make it seem super important all the time. So much of it is your phone. I mean, like if I can just leave my phone in the other room, I'm a calmer person. Period. Yeah. Because there's just the interruption-based thing and this feeling that you always have a lot to do. Yeah. And then news stories, the goal of the headlines is to create engagement. Mm -hmm. Things that scare people or make people angry get shared a ton. Yeah. It helps me to remember that like their goal is not just to deliver me the facts. Their goal is to get me to send, be so mad or so scared that I send this to someone else. Yeah. So maybe it's not quite as bad as I think it is. And as, as so many people think it is, you know. I think sometimes the anxiety or the worry uh, can be like a comforting little blanket. We kind of like it. Mm. It's like it's like comfortable. We This is who we are. It's what we do. There's that great line from The Sopranos that the, his therapist says to him. She says, we repeat patterns even when they're damaging to us. Right. Often on days when I am able to truly shake my worry and feel that like, oh, things are good. More often than not, that night I will have an anxiety dream. Mm-hmm. And it's like my body just being like, don't let your fucking guard down, man. Don't get complacent. And I think that is my attachment to my worry is that somehow I think it keeps me frosty. It's not true. No. But my body has decided it's true somehow. It's like, I'm still producing these chemicals. Yeah. Make sure you don't fucking go to sleep on the job here. There's a lot to worry about out there. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's fucking annoying. My, my goddamn brain. Well, like using a sample size of one of, of myself, just because I do not worry usually, like on an ongoing basis about what you were talking about, the, the world or- Fuck you. You know, <laughs> like at all. <laughs> but when I do- and I get like, I start worrying about my own mortality or the kids or my wife or something like that. It's when I'm like, s- did not sleep a wink last night. Yeah. Or am like, you know, sick, like having a fever. Yeah. And if you're all strung out, that's where you go. It's like yeah. your body doesn't know what's going on and you, you, you basically lose control of your mind. So often I think it's like, it's the world. It's like, no, it's just like, I haven't been outside enough. Um, I stayed up till three in the morning, binge watching TV, and I drank beers and did a little marijuana. And I'm like thinking that it's the world. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What'd you watch on TV? Oh, is this thing about the serial killer of- uh- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, God, I, you know, I ate like fried Oreos and stayed up till 4 a.m. watching rape documentaries Yeah, and woke up really- I don't know what's wrong. I feel strange this morning. <laughs> I think it's the world. It must just be how the world is. Yeah. God damn it. Why are we such children? We're just, oh my gosh. It's so frustrating being a human. We all think we're primarily rational creatures. Yeah. But that's not the most powerful part of our brain. So I think that frequently I will think of something and feel anxiety about it. I think that the anxiety is the result of this thing I thought of, mm-hmm. but it's actually that I thought of this thing because I was feeling anxious and didn't even know it yet. Right. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the feeling is, is the inciting is the catalyst rather than, than the object of the anxiety. I'm feeling anxious. Oh, here's the thing to feel anxious about. Sometimes you think of an intrusive thought, you know, bad, scary thing. Then you get all scared about it. And then it's like, Oh, this is truth. Yeah. And it's being able to kind of almost disassociate a little bit and separate yourself from that, that, you are the person who's observing those intrusive thoughts or those worries. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in it if you know we're stressed or tired. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. You, you start to spiral. And you see it as the truth of the yeah. matter. Like this it, is yeah. what it is. Yeah. You're experiencing it. It must be true. But then if you have that other you on the other shoulder that's like, you're just freaking out, bro. You're freaking out. You're tired. Yeah. Fucking deal with it tomorrow, man. Like, don't think about this right now. Who cares? When you are well-rested tomorrow, you're not going to be worrying about this shit. Yeah. And just giving yourself grace and just saying, okay, I'm just a meat popsicle computer. <laughs> it's not working today. I will pick this back up tomorrow with full speed and vigor. And then it's like, oh, there you are, rational maxi baby. Yeah. <laughs> hey, maxi baby. Thanks for taking taking care of me. <laughs> that yesterday, Max was fucking scared. I was a nightmare. He was he could oh, not deal man. with the world. Yeah. So it's like just recognizing like, look, sometimes we just can't handle these big kid emotions. So like, don't spiral, bro. Like, Yeah, go. don't spiral, bro. <laughs> I love the way you articulated it, like almost looking at your dissociating a little bit. Yeah. Because it's not, it is not trying to dismiss the worry because rationalize away the worry because that's kind of futile. It's there. And it's chemical. It's feeling the worry and seeing it for what it is, which is your worry and not the truth. It's learning to take your reactions to things with a grain of salt. We're basically just big meat computers. Yeah. And sometimes if you can step out and realize like, oh, I'm actually just stressed out about this client 
that is beating me up and suing us. And for some reason, that's coinciding with me being afraid of my kids dying tomorrow. Yeah, right. Oh, that's what it is. Yes. I was having a conversation with a buddy who you know, who's one of my most successful friends. He's started a tech company that's gone very well. Um, and I like I I have the big entrepreneurial like financial inconsistency worry. Mm-hmm. I just do. And there's real stress involved in entrepreneurship. But so I was talking to my friend and I just asked him, I was like, do you vacillate between like, like hubris, like unrealistic self-confidence and total self-doubt? And he, and he was like, all the fucking time. And I was like, can you trace what it is? Cause I'm like, some days I'll, I'll be like, I don't, I'm crushing the world. And then the next day I'll be like, I'm going to lose my house and my family's going to be hungry. Yeah, I was like, sometimes I think it's like how bedtime went the night before with my daughter and he doesn't have any kids. And he goes, yeah, a lot of times I think it's whether or not the Celtics won. It's <laughs> like, yes, it makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Well, no, this is super interesting. And I feel the exact same way about this, this podcast. If I stay up all night with a sick kid and I have to make a social media post for Milkless, I like look at it. And I'm like, who the fuck are we? Yeah. What is this? This is embarrassing. What is wrong with us? Why do we think we can do a podcast? And then it's all that self-doubt and all that shit. It's entirely related to my sleeping, you know, how tired I am. Yeah. And then I wake up the next day, fully rested. I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, it's imposter syndrome. And I think imposter syndrome is incredibly widespread and extends to parenting. Mm -hmm. Like, what the, they're going to let me take care of this? I'm just a fucking bonehead. Yeah. Um, Like my... Some of my financial concerns can be solid because they motivate me to continue to hustle. But some of them are just the thing I choose to fixate on that's really more about some kind of imposter syndrome about being a parent and a provider and an adult in general. Yeah, I was watching this interview with Larry David by a fantastic interview and famous predator, Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose asked Larry David what it was like when he made a lot of money. And he's like, well, I stopped worrying about that. But the worry part of my brain was still fully operational. So everything else just flooded in to fill that gap. So I do think there's this idea that like, if I could just fix this, I'd stop worrying. It's like, well, you probably wouldn't. It's really more about the work on yourself, on learning to trust yourself. It's that kind of stuff. Getting outside, exercising, sleeping, or fuck it, going to therapy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big believer. My family of origin was... um, was largely saved by a commitment to therapy. My wife's a therapist. I, I believe in it. I have on and off uh, at times in my life gone and mostly talked about anxiety. Like it, again, it comes back to like, if you, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. Cause they need you to be okay. You know, I did. I've done four sessions like three or four years ago when I needed some, mm-hmm. some unpacking blew my cock off. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> That's just how we need to talk about it more. Not like, oh, it's really enlightening just to get more dudes to go. It's like, are you, dude, I fucking ripped some therapy and it blew my cock off, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was no, like it a blowjob for my brain, baby. Did it had me some stuff that I was dealing with about my work, some stuff I was dealing with about my father. And we just like talked about it. And I was like, oh, great. And I actually just navigated it, figured it out what I needed to figure out. Almost just with like a guide in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at the end, the therapist is like, yeah, you're, you're good. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, no, but I want to keep coming. This is on my insurance and this is like really fun. <laughs> I get to talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> Nobody like, stop me. She's like, I think you're good. I'm like, oh, well, I'll be back. 
But you know, therapy's awesome. Especially like some people, especially if, if you have that self-awareness where you realize like, okay, my anxiety or my worry about X, Y, and Z is kind of unsustainable at this point. Right. But how many men don't then go to therapy? Most. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you hear all the time and I, and I think it's getting progressively less and less like this with every generation, but the only acceptable emotion for men to feel is anger. Mm-hmm. And I, we grew up with less of that than our dads who grew up with less of that than their dads. But we grew up in a time when like the two adjectives that were used to describe that the noun was pussy and the adjective was gay. Yeah, Those were just synonyms for like weakness essentially. But Dude, there is this way in which like if you can be open enough to deal in those things, what you end up with is a much greater strength. And I think those people that just stiff arm that shit and stiff upper lip it, there's a there's a rigidness that is ultimately brittle. Well, also, it's like I, I strongly believe like the most manly thing you can do, the most like macho thing you can do is be vulnerable and not be such a fucking wimp. About being manly. Yeah. Oh, never do that. That's not manly. It's like, well, yeah. That's really? Yeah. Like, who ca- who cares? Yeah, right. Yeah. I do want to finish. Yeah. I'm going to like just obliterate any claims we ever had towards being manly men by reading some poetry. <laughs> there's this, okay, there's this book of poetry that I may have referenced for by this guy, Clint Smith. Okay. It's called Above Ground, and it's fucking great. And I think this spoke to the part of worrying as a parent that is inevitable and just has to do with like the way parenthood, one, makes you love something so much and two, gives you this weird window into like the fragility and impermanence of life. Mm -hmm. All right. You ready? Yeah, hit me. Uh, I think it's called something like the first time you took you to the beach. When we took you to the beach for the first time, we wrapped you in a white blanket and walked out to a large umbrella that sat on the edge of the ocean. The tide was high, so the water reached the front legs of our chairs before sliding back into its own slow, unabating arms. I sat you between my legs on the blue chair and drizzled sand in between your toes and told you that this sand was here before you and me and grandma and her grandma. You looked down at your feet and looked at me and looked up at the umbrella that kept the sun from burning your new skin with its dispassionate rays. It is such a simple joy to watch you watch the world, to see you see each thing for the first time to watch you feel sand on your feet, but to not yet know its name. I held you as you fell asleep and watched a boy run out into the ocean and dive under a cresting wave. I held my breath until I saw his head rise up on the other side. Oh man, that is beautiful. And it, but what's, what's beautiful about that poem and just, I, I guess the worry in general is that you'd only worry and care if you love something as much as you love it. And it's the cost of loving something that much. Yeah. That's what I love about that poem is the first 95% of it is articulating some of the most wonderful parts of being a parent. Yeah. And then right at the end, it's like, here's the bill. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyways, I really like that. I thought that was... Wait a minute. You just read a poem on our podcast. So gay. <laughs> It's great. I love it. I love it too. I love it. Yeah. He's amazing. Clint Smith is amazing.